0: We're almost done. Who's excited to be done with the book of Ephesians? Raise your hand. You're like, I'm sick of this, man. <laughs> I'm sick of Paul. I don't know. Um, Ephesians is a great book. I really love it. The, I, I really, as I've been preaching um, Ephesians and I've had to read Ephesians like, I think I've read it like, a, like close a hundred times uh, since <laughs> I started this. Um, it really is a book that teaches not just how to like, like, like learn about the Word of God, but actually have to, to do the Word of God, right? I think it says, somewhere in the Bible it says that don't just hear about the Word of God, right? It's, it's good to hear, but then you have to do the Word of God. You have to live out the Word of God. And Ephesians really is a great book that teaches us how to live out the Word of God. Um, and he's been talking about relationships and how the power of the Gospel, right, isn't just so that like, we have this like googly feeling inside of our hearts, right? The Gospel isn't meant to just for us to feel a certain way, but the gospel is so that it changes our lives. And it radically changes the way that we do life. The way that we do things. The way that we have relationships. Right? And Ephesians 5, you know, we read it a couple of weeks ago. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But what? What does, what does it, Paul, tell us to be filled with? If we're not supposed to be filled with wine, right? And, it, like, drinking wine is not bad. But he's like, don't get drunk. But what should we really get filled with? What is, like, the... The old self, if old self is getting drunk, what's the new self that Paul talks about? It says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, like, and Holy Spirit is actively working in your life, there's true transformation that happens. Right? It's not just about changes in our behavior. I've done that many years of my life. When I try to just change my behavior, change the way I, I do things, right? and, and it's, it's just never... It's never the way that God wants us to to be transformed. But He's saying if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will start to change your life, and will start to change the way you do things. He'll fo- He'll form character in your life. Right? You can't buy character, and you can't infer character on somebody. Right? Character can only come, right? Really, when when we when 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 we go through things in our lives and we we find like like. We f- realize that God's truth is God's truth, right? And, and and God starts to Holy Spirit starts to form character. He forms the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, patience, all of that stuff, all of that good stuff starts to be formed in our lives as we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now we're no longer controlled by the flesh and the things of the flesh, but we're we're being empowered and we're being led by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul talks about in a big chunk of this of, of this book. He's he's telling the Ephesians, like, be filled with the Spirit and walk in this manner. Be filled with the Spirit and live out your life in this manner. And ultimately, it affects our relationships, right? It affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with people. The greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love God and to love people, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love people. And, and, and the law was given to us so that we can be perfect no so that it can actually make us better no the law was given to us to point out our sins right and ultimately it was it was given to us so that that we realize that we need a savior right and when we realize that we need a savior and we have that savior right we, we the holy spirit comes like we have a savior and he gave us his spirit the holy spirit so that that we will be changed from the inside out right? we won't like try to fulfill these laws like you know these little laws that 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 man you know, we will take it and say, "If I do this, and I'm going to be like God. If I do this, then I will be righteous. If I do this, then I'm a good man." Right? But we can't. There's nothing that we can do to make us a good man, right? Only we need Jesus. And and, and Paul is saying, like, be filled with the Spirit of God, and be transformed by the Spirit of God. Because if you are filled with God's Spirit, right, He's bound to change your life. He, you know, who who believes the Holy Spirit is powerful? Raise your hand. You know the Holy Spirit, right? Has always been and always will be, right? And He is the Spirit, right? The Spirit that, like, 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 you know, that, that, you know, when when God spoke and, and there was light and He created the universe, Holy Spirit was all up in that, right? But then that same Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that that covers the earth and the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is actually in our in our hearts, and and He. He works in our hearts to transform and change us. So last week, we talked about one of the relationships that get affected by, you know, when when Holy Spirit comes and starts to really move in our lives, it changes our relationship. And the first relationship that we talked about last week was marriage. Some of you guys weren't here for that, right? But, you know, marriage is one will be one of the most important, if not the human relation, most important human relationship that you'll have. Our marriage should, if we allow God to lead it, will be a natural reflection of Christ and his love for the church and the church submitting to the love of Christ. Jesus sacrificed and loved the church, and the church submits and honors out of love for Christ. Right? That's like the relationship that marriage is kind of modeled after. right? And so it's like a circle of love and respect. Jesus loves us. We respect and honor Jesus, and it goes on in this circle. in the same way with husband and wife, right? husbands we love our wives like we like like we love our wives more than our bodies this is like we have to love our wives as if we are loving ourselves right and then we work together to bring about a godly marriage and there's a synergy that happens in, in in a godly marriage where you know there's you know we, we think about that verse in ephesians like like wives submit to your husbands, and we and the women are like what like they just feel like this they is they, they, they just feel like they could be removed from the bible but it's a beautiful thing it says it's a submission out of love. It's a submission out of devotion. Right? Because the husbands are loving their wives so much with a sacrificial love. Like they're willing to die for their, their wives. And at the, end, at the end of the day, it's a circle of love and respect that, that continues us in, down this path of a godly marriage. And at the end, Jesus is the center of that marriage. And you, can't, you, can have an enjoyable, you can have an enjoyable marriage without Jesus. There's like non-Christians out there that have great marriages without Jesus, but you can't. But you can't have a godly, spirit-filled marriage, right? A, a marriage that has been modeled by this amazing, like, original example of Christ loving the church. You can't have that without Jesus, without Christ being at the center of it. Because what what all, what does all of this? What is it all telling us, right? All of the relations that relationships that we have we do it as a worship unto the lord we have these relationships and and our children and and you know everything that we have in the relationship if if jesus holy spirit is in us and god is leading and and directing us we do it as a worship unto the lord romans 12:1 it says i therefore i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship meaning that everything that you do with your body should be a worship and sacrifice unto the lord you know like a lot of, th- of us we we hold these things like like we 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 have this like like division in our lives right we like this is this is the sacred things in my life right church right? going to church like reading the bible praying unto the lord right these are the sacred things that we have in our lives and and these will always be sacred but then we also have this secular list of things that we have like you know like my, my friends at, at work, my coworkers, like Netflix, you know, like uh, all like the movies and all of these things that we have and these are the secret sec- secular areas of our lives that we and then we kind of like go between one and the other, right? We have like a, a, a section of our lives that's secular and we have a section of our life that's sacred and we kind of like ride the wave in between the two, right? We're like, oh today I'm gonna be i se- am I'm gonna be sacred today. I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna be in his presence Ah, you know like I can't stand in your love and all that and, and sing the songs and pray to God and all that but then then like midweek you're like you're like oh you know what but I'm at work and you know and the people are being you know just really mean to me and I'm just gonna this, this is this is a secular week for me right this is my secular like time in my life where you know I'm gonna view my relationships with my boss in in this secular way where it's just you know, I don't really have to be all that holy and righteous and I don't really have to to be a, a Christian because it's it's a secular aspect of my life. But God doesn't want us to be this way. He doesn't want us to be double-minded, right? In James 4:8 it says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." That's actually a one word in in the Greek. There's actually a word for double-minded, and I, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it basically is somebody that that is duplicitous, has like a, like a double life a double mind about this is sacred this is holy and, then, and 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 this is secular and this is like the worldly things that i'm into but god's saying like hey don't be double minded because ultimately your allegiance and your hope and your glory all of that will come from god and and your your eyes have to be set on god alone so the, so whether you're at, at school whether you're at church whether you're doing crossfit right whether whether you're you're working out whether you're at the movies, and whether you're at church, whether you're raising your kids, whether you're talking to your mother in law, whatever it is, right? There is no sacred and secular. There's only the Holy Spirit that is in you, that is transforming you and making you more like Christ, right? And there shouldn't be double minded in us. But all that we do, we do it as a worship unto God, we do it as a worship unto the Lord. I heard one a pastor say this but we have an audience of one. We live our lives as if we have an audience of one. So we live our the things that we the way that we treat our wives, right? We we treat our wives right as if we have an audience of one. There's only one person seeing us in how we treat our wives and it's because God is watching us how we treat our wives, right? The way we treat our kids, the way we raise our kids, we do it all for an audience of one. That means whether you're it doesn't mean you can't do anything like world. You can't go to the movies because that's secular. No, when you're watching a movie, you watch that movie with an audience of one. Right? This is God's watching you watching that movie, right? When when you're when you're out there and you and you go and you know you go to a bar or whatever you do, you go with an audience of one. You go being led by the Spirit of God. Right? Meaning we can't separate ourselves from the things of the world, right? We have to not be of those things, but we're we're gonna be in this world, right? For 60, 70, 80 years, whatever, how long we live, right? And, and so then we don't have these duplicitous, dual-minded ways of looking at the world, but we look at it through one eye, through one audience, is God. And no matter what we're doing, where we're going, who, who we're interacting with, we do it unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you, thank you so much, Ine whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So like when when I when I you know interact with with Mina and as my wife I do it for God I don't I don't do it to like you know treat her nice or, or or you know like like become like this like shining art like oh I'm your husband No, I do it as a worship unto the Lord right and women you submitting to your husband it says do it as if you're you're submitting to Jesus because at the end of the day that's what you're doing. And if you don't have that unction in your heart to please God, the things that you do, it's going to be very difficult. It says, earlier we said, discern what is pleasing to the Lord and do those things. We have to have have a desire in our heart to please God and, and, and to do what is right for God, do what is right unto the Lord. And so Paul brings us into this very practical realm of doing things for God and it's in the areas of these relationships that he talks about. We talked about that, that Paul, he's, he, he throws out all of this spiritual truth, but then he brings it down to a lot of practical things, practical ways that it should ap- apply to our lives. It's spiritual truth that actually lead us into practical, like everyday things that we, how, and how we live our lives. And Paul tells us that living our lives for the glory of God should affect our everyday relationships. All of the relationships that we have, it should affect the way that we do life with the people that are around us. Not just the sacred ones, not just the relationship with your pastor, not just the relationship with your, your ministry team leader or your small group leader. Or, but all of your relationship be, should be affected by the power of the Holy Spirit that is working in your life. So When you go to work and you're a co-worker, right, the power of the Holy Spirit should be at work in your heart when you're dealing with your co-worker. When you're when you're you know, when you go to a restaurant and you're talking to the the waiter, the power of the Holy spirit should be in you, right, affecting the way that you deal with your the, the, the you know, your your waiters, right? Like I'm a I'm a very like I I gotta admit, I, I have a little case of road rage, right? And recently I think it's getting a lot better, right? But there's times where like we've been going to church and then I, some guy cuts me off and I'm just like, you know, and then and then Mina will always remind me, like, you know you're going to church, right? But but I can't have that separation where. But God's saying, "Hey, you have an audience of one. Right? You, you, you know, like I'm preparing you for you to be one man, being led by one spirit that has one God, right? that will that will give glory unto to that one God." Right? So we talked about it last week about marriage, and marriage is a sacred. It's a sacred thing. Right? We can't treat marriage as as something where you know like. I can't be like, oh, I'm a pastor, and so I'm doing all my sacred things on Sunday, talking to you guys, leading you guys into all of the sacred things. Then I go home, and then like, I'm all like, you know, like whatever with my wife. You know, I'm like, I'm all mean to her, and I'm just like, you know, like telling her what to do, and like, you know, commanding her, and, and, and being a third with my wife. Right? I can't, because God is always watching me in, in the way that I live my life every day. And then he goes on to these other two relationships, these relationship paradigms right after this. He talks about marriage and husbands and wives. And then he says parents and children, right, understandable, the very important relationships. And then he mentions slaves and masters. Right? Some of your versions say bondservant, but actually that word basically means slave. And so it's kind of weird. It's like, like you know, parents, husbands and wives, I get that. right? And then like parents and children, oh, I get that. And then he's like slaves and masters. And I was like, what? Why are these the only three relationships that you're actually addressing here, Paul? Right? Why would he mention slaves and master? Is he promoting slavery? Right? Is he well, why not all of the other relationships, relationships with your friends, right? Relationships with your neighbors, right? Why does he bring bring up the like slave and master paradigm, right? Marriage, parents and children, and then slaves and masters. Well, in order for us to understand Paul's original intent in writing this, we have to understand what slavery was like back then. Right? Slavery in the first century of Roman Empire was very different than that of the American South and that of Europe. Right? Back then, people became slaves either through conquest or they actually sold themselves off into slavery. Right? So when we think about slavery, we think about the evil slave trade of the early Americas and the European nations, right? Like African people being kidnapped and forced into slavery. Both Old Testament and New Testament condemn these actions. Exodus 21.16, it says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found possession of him, shall be put to death. 1 Timothy 1.10, it says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and sexual immoral, immoral men, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, right? that is, those who take someone captive in order to sell him into slavery, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God in which I have been entrusted. And so, Paul, right? Like, like Paul, if he would have seen like the American slave trade back then, he would have condemned it. He would have, he would, like, he's not going to be like, you know, like, like it's all right, like, you know, slaves, like, obey your masters and and see how it turns out. No, he would have condemned it, right? All of the millions of people right now caught in human trafficking, right? You know, like, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the statistics, but there's millions of women and children and men that are, that are like, like. Enslaved in human trafficking all around the world. Right? Mina went to Pattaya. She went to, uh, she went on this like mission trip with our, our sister Lisa and, and brother Roy a long time ago to Pattaya, where there's a group of uh, there's a group of people that are trying to like free women that's like been sold into sex slavery, basically. Right? Where they're up there like stripping and doing all that, but they have no other choice. Their parents had sold them into basically like indentured servanthood. And, and, and I say, if Paul saw that, he would condemn it. And so we have to see what Paul is talking about here is different from what we know as slavery in modern times. Paul is in no way condoning forced slavery. He wouldn't look at the slave trade from the early Americas and be like, you know, or the modern day slave trade that we we see here in human trafficking and say, y'all just obey your masters. As I was reading this commentator and I was, and I was and he was saying that if Paul saw the slavery of Lincoln time, he would he would have told the slaves that you know would not have told them to run away. Would have just been told to like just, just submit to your masters. And, I, and when I heard that, I was like, I don't I don't believe that. I, I believe that this is a completely like different thing that Paul is talking about here. If Paul would have seen some of the evil things that happened in modern times, he would have been like, dude, this is wrong. He would have condemned it. 1 Corinthians seven, Paul tells the slaves that if they can gain their freedom, do that. And also the whole system was different back then. So we can't look at slavery back then and align it to the same teachings to the slaves of the like align those same teachings to the slaves and, 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 and the modern slave trade that we have today. And Paul was talking about in his letters has to do with slavery back then in the early Christian early first century, where one third of the population was assumed to have been slaves. So basically, one out of three of you would have been a slave. It's a Hebrew culture that allowed Hebrew people to sell themselves into slavery when times got really tough. If like, if like, you know, like my husband, not my husband. Say like, like I got really sick, right, and then like I couldn't afford to like, you know, like make money, and then we have like three kids, and you know. And then my w- and then my wife was like okay yeah, I'm gonna sell myself into slavery so that and then there was always an opportunity like if you read the Old Testament the way that slaves were treated back then were very humanely and there were always opportunities for them to be set free right and so it's very different from the slave trade that we know of of, of you know like African people being like kidnapped and brought over to America with no chance of slavery no chance of doing being free in any ways right back then it was the way that a lot of people just lived their lives, right? It was a Hebrew culture that, that allowed slaves to be freed after seven years. And Paul doesn't necessarily condemn this kind of slavery, but he does create within it a counterculture where Christians, either slaves or master, would live differently than that of their non-Christian counterparts. Right? So He's basically saying, like, hey, this is the system, right? This is the system and you're going to either be a master or a slave within this system, right? and I want you to live your life differently. Right? I want you to live your life in a way that's different. Even if you're a master and you're a Christian, you got to live your life differently. Right? And the most relevant relationship that I can find in modern time that like that works with this relationship between master and slave that Paul's talking about is employee-employer. and How we do work. How we treat our employees. How we treat our bosses. How we treat our managers and our supervisors and the people that are over us. We don't toss out this teaching because slavery is no more, but we don't force this teaching on modern day slaves caught in human trafficking either. right? We don't tell them like, hey man, stick it out, obey your masters. That makes no sense to me. Right? Even back then in the in, in the African slave trade, right? you can't tell them like, hey, stick it out, obey your masters. Because it's a completely different kind of thing that they're talking about. We interpret to see how it can pertain to our lives here, and we can see that back then the relationship between bond servant or slave and master is similar to that of an employee and an employer in modern times. Back then, right, a third of the populations were slaves. Right, that means like there was a whole lot of people that were like sitting around doing nothing, and then a whole lot of people that were like working for everybody else, right? kind of seems like it today, right? There's a whole lot of people that are like doing the work for somebody else. It's kind of like the, the employee-employee relationship, employer relationship that we have today. And when we look at that, these relationships tend to be the, the, the main relationships that we have that we, that we will continually have in our lives, like husband and wife, parent and children, employee and employer, and it's the one thing that they, all of these relationships have in common is that of authority. All of this these relationships have authority in common. It's right? relationships that we are either under authority or we are over authority. And in essence, Paul is teaching us about authority. And for some of you guys in here, after what our church has gone through, and our church has gone through a lot, right? That word authority might leave a bad taste in your mouth. But authority, and how we treat authority, and how we treat like like you know the authority over us, and how we treat the people that are. That we have authority over. That's very important in the kingdom of God, because the world has to have order, and there would be no order without authority. Right? Without authority and submission, there would we would live in chaos. Right? There would be no cops. Right? Everybody would have their own rule. Like for me, if like everybody named Caleb gets a thousand dollars every other day. Right? Like I make up these. Like there is no authority, then there's basically it's chaos. So there needs to be authority. The kingdom of God is 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 all about authority, right? Jesus was under the authority of the Father, right? We as the church, we're under the authority of Christ. So Paul points out that authority is very important, and how we handle authority is very important in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus shows the importance of godly authority here in it's, its humility. Humility. In order for us to truly understand authority, right, we have to see authority. Right, has to go hand in hand with humility in the kingdom of God. Not in the world, right? In the in the world, right? People know how to exercise authority, right, and they do it very well. But in the kingdom of heaven, the way that we see authority, the way that we see authority above us, and then we see the ones that we have below us, it needs to come hand in hand with humility. And Paul points out the two relationship authority that we will encounter the most in our lives is parent and child, and basically employee and employer. We will all have parents, or most of us will all have parents. We will all have jobs, and we will either be a parent, a child, employer, or employee, or maybe all four at one point in our lives. How many of you is, is is a child of somebody, right? Raise your hand, right? How many of you guys have a boss? Raise your hand some of you guys may not be working but but then you you're not gonna not work for the rest of your life you will always one day you will have a boss one day some of you guys are gonna make a lot of money and have people under you right some of you guys will have kids and you guys will be parents some of you guys call your parents like once a week right these are relationships that we will have and these are all relationships of authority and and paul is saying hey you have the way that you live your life in these relationships of authority out in the world very important in the kingdom of god it's very important in the, in, in the way that, that God's going to shape and, 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 and sanctify you. It's going to involve these relationships. And Paul's telling us how the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit within us will and should affect these relationships. And, and one thing I want to point out is the order that Paul talks about, right? He talks about husbands and wives. And then he talks about parent and children. and he talks about, like, you know, like bond servant and master. And the priority should be in that order. I don't care how important your job is, it should not be above your wife. You you don't neglect your job because of your wife, but you have to put your wife first. Put God first above all, and that relationship with God and the faith that you have in God should affect all of the different aspects of the relationships that you have in your life. All of these relationships should be changed by faith, there is no secular. There is no sacred. It's all under faith, and it's all under the lordship of God. And as you draw closer to God, you put faith in Christ, and you follow Him, and He changes you. And He will change you in character in your heart. He will change you in integrity in your heart, wisdom in your heart, and it will change the way that you deal with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your mother-in-law, with, with you know, like like, like your boss or the people that you have under you, it will change the way that you interact with these people. It will transform the way that you deal with these people. So let's look at how these relationships should be, right? So who's, a, who's, a ch- who's a child in here of, of somebody? Raise your hand, right? We're all a child of somebody, right? right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your fa- father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it, it may go well with you, and that you will, you may live long in the land. Right? Paul like directly address children here. Right? Now you have to understand when these letters were sent around in Ephesus back then, right? It was read, and it was read inside of the congregation. Children were present there, right? So when 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 Paul addresses children, he's actually talking about little kids, little children, like you know, elementary, middle school, high school, like. I'm sure they didn't have those kind of schools back then, but like these, these, these he was addressing the children. He's like, like obey your parents, as if you're obeying the Lord, right? Paul isn't addressing all of us in this figurative children, like we're all children of God, kind of figurative word, but he is directly addressing the children in the congregation. They should obey their parents. And then he addresses the congregation with the fifth commandment. Right? He addresses the rest of the the congregation, saying, right, children. Obey your parents, right? Right, But we all need to, what? The fifth commandment, what is it, right? What is the fifth commandment? Anybody know? Honor your mother and father. <laughs> honor your mother and father, right? He, he, tell, he gives us a fifth commandment. He says that this commandment is the first to come with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And we have to know that there is a significance between obey and honor. There's a, there's a big significance between obeying your parents and honoring your parents. Children are called to obey. This is specifically addressing the children, meaning that when you're an adult and you've left your parents' home and you're trying to make a life for yourself, you don't necessarily have to obey your parents, but you do have to still honor them. Right? This, this is really hard in Korean families because Korean parents are, tend to be very overbearing and very controlling. Right? So we have to understand, like, hey, right? Now I'm 36 years old, right? I don't think, like, I'm gonna tell do everything that you tell me to do, but I'm gonna still honor you, mom. I'm gonna still honor you, dad. Like, we have to honor our parents. the The word honor goes together with humility, love, and grace. A person that is honored is what esteemed, and and they get raised up, right? in in, in Jesus' time, somebody that was honored, right? got like the best seat at the table, right? And, they, and, and and people came and washed their feet and all these stuff. And, and, and Paul tells us that even if we no longer are children, we still have a mandate to honor our parents, respect them, humble ourselves, and show them grace and kindness. And Paul points out that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5.16, it says that honoring our parents comes with a promise from God. What is that promise? So that we will live long in the land and this promise is generally true. It doesn't mean that if you obey your parents and you honor your parents that like you're immune from death, right? Like, well, I'm obeying my parents, right? I can just do whatever I want and and you know like it, it's a general it's a general promise that God gives us that if we honor and respect and and, and love our parents and we honor them, right, it will go well with us that we will have a long life. So this is it comes with this general promise from God about honoring our parents, and God gives us a mandate to honor our parents. Does that mean that as an adult we obey them blindly? No. It's like if it's an if it's an issue of sin, right? You're like you're about to go and move in with your boyfriend, right? And, and, and you know, and your parents are Christian. And they're saying like, hey, don't do that. I don't think that's right, right? You know, you should obey your parents in the, in those cases. But at the end of the day, as grown adults, right? I think everybody in here is over the age of 18. Right, as grown adults, right, you don't necessarily have to obey everything that your parents tell you. to do. Right? But you do have to honor them. You do have to go to them for godly counsel. You know, if, if your parents want you to live close to home, but God is calling you, he's like telling you to, to, to move somewhere else, and, and God is leading you into this different direction, you don't necessarily have to obey what your parents are doing right? you honor them you hear them out you respect them but at the end of the day you follow god right if they want you to be a doctor and the korean parents love doctors right they want you to be a doctor and you're like you go to pre-med and you're like you know what this this is not for me right? and i feel like god's leading me into ministry right and you, you you follow god right what, your parents might want you to be a pastor, right? You, you go to seminary, but God's leading you, like, hey, man, I think God, I think, I think God wants me to be a doctor, and you, you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're a grown, you're a grown man. I was going to say something that I shouldn't say. You're a, you're a grown man, right? You're a grown woman, right? And you you need to follow. You you know how to listen for the voice of the Lord, right? If you're you know, if you're a grown person, you know how to hear, and you know how to hear the voice of the Lord. You have to follow the voice of the Lord, right? But that doesn't negate you from honoring your parents. And we need to learn to honor our parents, to esteem them, to respect them, you know? to hear them out. So many times we're like, oh, I don't want to hear you, mom. I don't hear you. You're like, you know, I don't have, I don't know. Like, they've been chansoning or they've been like nagging you all your life. That you're growing up, you're like, oh, I don't want to hear it, you, you know. But it, it means hearing them out. Saying okay, let me hear you out. I need to learn this, right? My, my mom called me last night, and I was at I was I was at dinner, and I was like I was like a, at like a buffet, and I picked up the phone, and I was like what? And then she was like oh blah blah blah, and I was like okay, I'll call you back, and I up. and then like it's like 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 12:30 at night. Mina's like oh I think you should call your mom. And I was like oh well, yeah, I totally forgot, right? But it means hearing them out. It means like like hearing what they have to say, and and, and giving. Like, like wait to their words. These are ways that you can honor and respect your parents. Treat them with respect and kindness, giving them grace and esteeming them. You learn to hear the voice of the Lord and you follow Jesus. You learn to, to follow the leading of, of, of the voice of God. But if, if those voices and leading are different, you still learn to honor and respect and esteem your parents. Here's the thing, the relationship that we have with our earthly parent is a relationship, is like an illustration of the relationship that we we have with Father God. We relate to God as our father and we learn to obey and honor God as we learn to obey and honor our parents. And God finds this honoring of our parents very important in the kingdom of God. Because when we honor our parents, in essence, we're honoring God. We give glory to God when and he's saying, this is the only one. The, this is the first commandment, right? There's others, but this is the first commandment that actually comes with a promise. That if, And you think about it. If you are a child and you're growing up and you're always honoring and respecting and, and you're obeying your parents and you grow up and, and, and a godly parent speaks into your life all of this wisdom and that you're going to live a life that's wise and prudent and you're going to get to a place where you live long in the land it's just the way now it doesn't mean that you're immune from death right but it, it it's not like this thing where like you know like a car comes and god's going to move you out of the way every time right you still have to have you walk with wisdom but at the end of the day like like listening and respecting and and having a godly parent speak into your life is powerful right? and we learn to obey our, our parents as we learn to we learn to obey god as we learn to obey our parents now I just kind of went into it a little but it doesn't just end there but it says fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Like I talked about last week how marriage of husband and wife is like a coin, like two side coin. Like w- women are supposed to res- like re- honor and respect their and submit to their husband and then men are supposed to love their wives with a sacrificial love. Li- why, love that, that is like giving and sacrificing. They're willing to die for their wives, right? Because Christ died for the church. You love them like how Christ loved the church, right? It's this two-sided coin and it's like this circle that continually perpetuates going into the future, right? Wives, you know, the husband will love their wives and then the wives submit to their husband and it's just this continual circle. And in the same way, we have that kind of a paradigm with parents and kids. As parents, our responsibility is even greater. Children just have to obey their parents, right? But we have to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Meaning we can't just demand obedience from our kids. But we have to teach them what is right and wrong according to God in the ways of the Lord. We can't provoke them to anger. Sometimes, I'll take Ethan's favorite toy. He has this little Hulk that he has. It's like his favorite thing in the world, right? I, I... he he did something bad the other day, and I was gonna take it away from him. And the moment I took it away, I could just see like just, just devastation on his face, right? It was like, he loves this little toy, and sometimes I'll take it and I'll pretend I ate it, right? i will be like, oh, I ate it, right? And he gets so angry. He just gets like he just like he becomes the Hulk. He's like, wah, right? And it, like, but and, and I, I and it, I feel bad because I'm actually kind of provoking him to it. But I think what what Paul is talking about is a little bit. More than just like like messing around with our kids, but it's provoking our kids, arbitrarily making up rules. Who had parents that were like that? Right? Making them do something just because we feel like it. Remember all of the crazy things that our parents did to us that would just infuriate us, right? Remember just the word "cause I said so," right? Remember those words "cause I said so," right? That is not godly parenting. it's it's actually provoked. Just by me saying that has provoked you to anger, right? (laughs) Because I said so. And you're just seeing your mom and you're like, ugh, right? We are called to discipline our kids and raise them up in the ways of the Lord. When we read that, that word discipline, we think of spanking, right? I got a lot of conviction when I read this, right? But, It's so much more than just spanking, right? The the full definition of that word discipline is it's the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals, right? And employs for this purpose commands and admonitions, uh, reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of, of the body. Adults also cultivates the soul, correcting mistakes and curbing passion, Right? Instruction which aims at increasing virtue. So like, when I see this word now, it's not it's so much more than spanking. When I used to think of discipline, I used to think of like disciplining my kids. I'd be like, Meme stick," right? Like, like, like hitting them in their bum, right? But it's so much more than that. The word discipline actually is more likened to discipleship. We are called to disciple our children, raising them up in the ways of the Lord. Discipline is so much more than just memeing our kids. Our memeing means spanking, right? For those of you guys that don't know. It, 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 it's to, it's to to cultivate their morals and to it, to to show them what, that what God thinks is right and wrong, right? You know, like my flesh. Like let me tell you, it, you know, it'll come out when when my kids, when Ethan's just being like a, you know i doing whatever. Like the first thing is like I'm gonna get the memristic. Me- Mina will Mina would come out right now and tell me, man, you should feel convicted. And I do. I like, I feel conviction, right? Because like sometimes my go-to movie movies is a is memristic, right? But but God's telling us, hey, you gotta like Paul. What Paul's telling us is to like disciple our children right? in a way so that you're not provoking them to anger, but you're teaching them in the ways of the Lord, right? You are the ones that will will teach and guide them into understanding the ways of God. That's a huge responsibility. You know, we're not called to remain in that place of the, the flesh, but we're called to be in a place of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide us into a place where we are we are developing our children. We're discipling and raising them up. Leading from a place of example. Discipling them in the ways of the Lord. Does that mean I let them do whatever I want? No. And sometimes they might need to get a little punishment, but it should all point to raising them up in the ways of the Lord. Discipling them in the ways of the Lord. So that they can figure out what's right and wrong according to God. So that when they become adults, you don't have to tell them what to do. And when they become 23, you don't have to tell them Oh, it's this way or the highway. They already know how to hear the voice of God. Because you have taught them the ways of the Lord. You have taught them to hear the voice of God. The goal of parenting is not getting them to do what you want. A lot of people think that the goal of parenting is to get your kids to eventually do whatever you want them to do. That is not the goal of parenting. That's not good godly parenting. Godly parenting is teaching them so that they do what God wants them to do. The discipling them, teaching them to do what God wants them to do. And it's a reflection of the relationship we have with Father God. He disciplines us. Why? Because He just wants to punish us? No. Because He loves us. He wants what's best for us. But does He force us? Does God force us into His ways? No. God never forces us. He leads us, He guides us, but God never forces us into anything. That means we have to go out of our ways and to teach our children to hear the voice of the Lord. My my hope, right? I, I need to get I need to submit to my wife a little bit more and, and hear what my wife is saying, right? But what, she's a bit, she's a. Let me just tell you, my wife is a lot a better parent than I am, right? Hands down, right? My mom, my wife is the kids listen to her better, right? She's just a better parent than than, than I am, right? I respect my wife. I love my wife, right? But I need to hear, listen to her more, and I need to learn to like, like teach my kids the ways of the Lord, instead of demanding from them whatever I want at that moment. Because God is not like that. God doesn't demand anything from us. He doesn't demand our love. He doesn't demand our. He's not sitting up in heaven. He's like Tiffany, love me now, right? Not like Tiffany. Like he's not telling like Natasha, you better you you better do what I tell you. God doesn't. He's not like that, right? God never has that position with us. God is always what? He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is never pushes or He always leads us, right? Guiding us. He's, he's a still, small voice in our heart and in our mind telling us, hey, this is the way that you should go. And we are being led by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't demand anything from us. And it's this relationship that God has with His people. And it should reflect the way that we raise our kids. I want to parent like this. You know, my parents were not godly parents. My mom was a Christian, but they, they didn't really do a good job at being like a godly example to us. But that negative cycle doesn't have to continue because naturally, you know, my flesh rises up and like I I want to parent like the way that my dad parented, like my way or the highway, right? Like just the first instinct is for that to come out. But I need to humble myself in front of my children. And I have to be able to say, hey, I got to teach you this because. You can't learn. I don't want you to learn this lesson when you're 36. I don't want to. Have, I don't want you to be all like a, you know, like this. You know, like, like having to learn all of these lessons from God when you're like in your 40s, when when you should have learned when you were under my, under my care. I want a parent like that. I want a parent by teaching them, raising them up, lifting them up, discipling them, showing them what is good and right, showing them and teaching them what is the way of the Lord. I told you last week that Abraham, right? It says I chose him because I knew that God says I knew that he would lead his children and teach their children and pass down the ways of the Lord to his children. And God loves the way that parents are called to live and called to lead their their kids. So that's godly parenting. Now we move on to the next passage, and I gave some explanation earlier about what it's supposed to look like, and it's this relationship between like bond servant and master. And it's not—it's not like necessarily like a like you know the modern day understanding of slave and master, but um, like it, it really is is a reflection of the relationships that we have with our employers and our employees. And it says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good and any good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Paul tells us to obey our earthly master, obey our employers, as if we are obeying Christ, as if we are doing everything for Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're in your respective workplaces, right? You guys are all a representation of Jesus Christ. You guys are all a representation of Christ. Whether they know you're a Christian or whether they don't know you're a Christian, you are a representation of Christ Jesus. So work as if, like, like as if you're working onto the Lord. He's saying not like those, like the the people that give eye service. What he means by that are people that like work real hard when people are watching. When they're not watching, they're just like slacking around. Doing whatever they want, but, but whenever like the boss is watching, they're like doing everything, like yeah, all right, let's do this, let's do this. And then when they're not watching, you're just like doing whatever you want. He's saying, be have integrity in your workplace. I remember I was working at Sharkies, right? Long time I worked at Sharkies, and everything was fine. Everybody would just like hang around. I would eat eat burritos, and all of a sudden, like like uh, the boss came in and put a camera over the kitchen and the pa- camera over the bar, and then all of a sudden everybody got really good at finding something to do. Like, Learning to wipe the tables and doing all this stuff, right? But we, but Paul's telling us, like, hey, work as if like, you know, you're not, not as if your boss is watching, but work as if Jesus is watching you working, right? as if Christ is watching you. Now, he's not up there saying like, I want you to do everything right like a taskmaster, but he's saying, hey, I want you to live a life of integrity. I, I want you, I want you to the way you work to be an example of of me. When people see you work, they would be like, man, that guy has a spirit of excellence. That guy is working from a, from a place where it's like, man, like, I don't even have to tell him what to do. That guy, like, he, he, he's, he's, he's proactively doing these things. He's working, like, like he's, he's making his money. And it's because he's coming not from a place of me trying to please my boss, but it's coming from a place of me trying to do it onto the Lord, onto Jesus Christ. And I remember, like I told you that I used to work at Sharky's. and when I first came to Busan, we came here in 2012, and like a big, ten of us moved down here. Um, ten of us moved down here from Seoul to plant this church, and ten of us, I think six of us got jobs. Five of us got jobs, but five of us couldn't get a job for like the longest time. And for the first like six, seven months, we didn't have a, none of us were able to get jobs. And I, and I finally got a job working at Sharkies as a ch- kitchen manager. I was working there. And and let me tell you, like, working there was one of the most enjoyable working experiences of my life. And I want to tell you why. It wasn't because it was a glamorous job, right? It it sucked. Like, 1130 at night, I would find myself cleaning the nasty bathrooms at Sharky's, like, going with the thing and picking out the, the, the poop trash and all that stuff. Like, I had to do all of that stuff, right? I had to mop the floors. I had to, like, you know, like, cook and do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it was one of the most enjoyable experiences that I have at work because I was doing it all unto the Lord. Because in my mind and in my heart, I was like, "Hey, I'm here to plant this church, and God gave me this job, right? So that you know I can make whatever." And it was not high paying, man. It was like they were barely paying me nothing. Sometimes I would eat; they like take whatever you eat out of your paycheck. Sometimes I would eat a little too much, and me I would be like, "Why is your paycheck so small?" And I'd be like, "I, I, I drank a beer and I ate a couple burgers." You know, like. But I remember going to work. I went with an excitement. I, I remember coming back from home. I, I, I would, I would feel like I had like, I like worked like this, and 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 it was this, it wasn't because the work was great, because the work sucked, and it wasn't because the people over there were like the best people, because some of them kind of sucked, right? But and, and the customers were rude. But at the end of the day, I had this amazing experience, and it continued on to my next jobs afterwards. But it was because I was doing everything unto the Lord. When I was cleaning that bathroom, I was thinking like, man, like if people saw me doing this, they would make fun of me. But I did it with joy. Because I remember in my heart, I was like, man, I'm doing this unto the Lord. And that's the way that we need to do be doing all of our jobs. And that that when we are working, whether we're teaching, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a Businessman, some of you guys are going to go into hotel management and all that stuff. The college students, whether you're working at the Hilton or whether you're working at the Holiday Inn, right? Whatever you're doing, right? You have to do it unto the Lord, as if the person that you're working for is not your boss, but it's God. And you know what? When somebody works like that, it changes the way that people think around you. Because I remember the owner of Sharky's, he was like, he's like, oh, I don't want you to leave. And I was like, oh, I have to leave. I'm having a kid, and the, what you're paying me here. Can't afford it, and I got a job at the school, and I'm gonna work there. He's like, Well, what are they paying you? And I told him what they're paying me, and he's like, Oh, I can't pay you that much. <laughs> but man, I wish really, I really wish you would stay. I really wish I could keep you, right? right? And, it, and it changes the way that our employers see us, and it changes the way that people see Christians, right? If like if, if a Christian is working hard at, at his job, it's gonna radically change the way that they view that person and, and whatever that they're working out of. It's gonna it's going to be a good reflection of Christ. But if you're like if you tell everybody, "Hey, I'm a Christian. I want you to know that I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do all this stuff." And you're at work and you're just being a turd. You're just like you know like like watching like video games, you know like playing video games on the computer and you're taking these long breaks and you go to the bathroom and you sit there on your phone for like 20 minutes and come back. Like if you're working like that, you're not a good reflection of Christ. And what Paul's talking about here is practicality. The way that you work Right? It should not be from this place of the flesh, but it should actually be from a place of the Spirit. Because as the Holy Spirit comes alive in you, He's going to change the way that you work, the way that you do your jobs, the way that you get paid. And it's to do it from a, from a place of the Spirit of excellence. And it will lead you to success. Success. If you if you work and you do everything with the audience of God I'm telling you God will lead you to success and whatever field that you're going into God will lead you to success now you got to look at Joseph remember joseph we read about it recently in our Bible reading plan but Joseph man he had a bunch of hard luck his, you know he, his Joseph's sin was pride right he was like oh man I had this dream all of you guys bowed down before me and I was sitting in the middle being ta and they're like this dude's a turd, and they sell him off into slavery. But you know what? Wherever he went, right? Like God humbled him, right? And he was at Potiphar's house, right? And and he succeeded, right? When he and then and then the wife, like like you know like accuses him of rape, and he goes to prison, and he's sitting in prison, and he becomes the best prisoner that ever was, right? He becomes like number two next to the warden. He's like, dude, you're such a great like you're such a great prisoner. I'm gonna make you the number one prisoner up in here, right? Think about, And is this because like like Joseph is just like slacking off and doing whatever? No, it says he said that whatever Joseph put his hand to, God made it to succeed. That means Joseph was constantly doing things. When he was at Potiphar's house, man, he's like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever I can for this dude Potiphar because like you know like I'm here and I'm just gonna do it unto the Lord. And yeah, whatever he do, God made it succeed in his hands. And ultimately, he becomes a prime minister of Egypt. He interprets those dreams. And he becomes, you know, like the second highest person in the land. And I'm telling you, if you live your life this way, where you allow the Spirit of God to take over your life, you allow the Spirit of God to change you, not just in the way that you feel inside, not just in the way that you have belief in your mind, but in the way that you live your life every day. How you treat your coworkers. How you treat your boss. How you treat your wife. How you treat your kids. How you treat that. The, the, the waiter that came the other day and, and got your order wrong. You know, like all of these ways these are ways in which God is gonna shape and, and, and form you into the person that God wants you to be. And then and lastly, finally, Paul addresses the Christian masters. He addresses the employers, he says Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. It says, Colossians 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you, have, you also have a master in heaven. Some of you will be successful and become supervisors, managers, CEOs. Some of you will own your own businesses. Some of you will become bosses over other people. And Paul tells us to assert your authority justly, righteously. You should treat your employees with respect and, and Righteousness. You are a representation of a Christ authority in the roles that you have over people. Just because you're a manager or you're some kind of, in a secular company, doesn't mean that you could treat people the way that everybody else treats people. Just because you're working for a secular law firm and you have people under you, are you supposed to treat your employees the way that the other people in that company treats their employees? Because it's really easy to do it. It's like you don't want to be the pushover. You're like, oh, I don't want to be the pushover. They're being all like, you know, mean to their employees. I'm gonna to have to, I have to do this to get, I have to do this to keep my self-respect, right? I got, I got to do this to keep my authority. No, right? you humble yourself, right? And and you continue to treat people justly and righteously. I'm telling you, you're gonna get a respect that they will never be able to get. They're gonna be, you're gonna be able to get authority that those people will never be able to handle. Because it's coming not from a place of like. Like you know, like treating people this way or that way, it's coming from a place a place where you're treating people the way that God says they need to be treated justly. You You treat people fairly, respect them, and you walk with them in love. Not because of the position in your company or your ownership of the company, because it means nothing to God in respect to the the one master that's in heaven. And we are all under his authority. The heart of what Paul is talking about here is how we deal with authority. You know, authority could be a drug, and we know some people that took authority and just they, they, it was it become a drug to them. right? And, and, and how we treat authority and how we exercise authority has to be different than that of the world. Even if we have authority over people, we humble ourselves and we allow the fruit of the Spirit that is growing in us. By the, to to change the way that we interact with the people that we have authority over. We live with humility, kindness, love, gentleness, patience. We live with self-control. Whether we have a husband, or whether we are a husband, a, a wife, a child, a parent, an employee, a CEO of a company. Christ is Lord. He is Lord, and we need to be, and He needs to be Lord in every area of our. In the, every relationships that we have, you know, it's it's really easy for us to take authority. The lesson here is authority. Right? It's easy, really easy for us to take authority and just like, like get overpowered and just be like, oh, I'm I am your boss. You're my son. You will see, you will do what I say. Right? You're my wife, and you will do what I say. Right? But at the end of the day, the way that we exercise authority has to model the greatest one that ever came and stepped foot on this earth and he hes a son of God came to earth and he, he submitted himself under the will of the father and he humbled himself and he could have like he could have sent down angels to just wipe everybody out he could have just said you know what I'm the king of the Jews I am the son of God my way or the highway it's just it, you know what like everybody you guys are going to submit he could have done that And he would have been perfectly just. But what did Christ do? He humbled himself. He went under so that we can all be exalted with him. That's the heart that we have to have when we have authority. Even here in church, if my head gets too big, bored, check me. If I get all like, hey, it's my way or the highway. It's going to be this way or no way. Please, we have people in, in, in place now to check me. Because we, the way that we exercise authority, we've learned in our church that it can actually very it can be it can really hurt people, and it can really be damaging on, on the way that you know, the people see the church and the pe- people see Christianity and all that. And so, with that said, I want us all stand up, and I'm going to close in prayer.